Welcome to the Sensual Power Podcast. This is a podcast for women, AFAP people, and anyone looking to learn more about generational trauma, childhood trauma, narcissistic abuse, sacred sexuality, and healing any wounds around money, sex, relationships, self, and doing expansion work with that. Everything that I'm talking about is based on my own experiences of healing and the work that I do with my clients. Keep in mind, though, I am a cis white woman, so the views that I express do come with a sense of privilege, and if harm is done, I am always willing to repair harm, so please reach out if that happens. Otherwise, stay tuned and listen to your next episode right now. Welcome back to the Sensual Power Podcast. As always, I am your host, Valerie Schrader. This week, we are going to dive into relationship issues, or more importantly, relationship patterns. How those play out, why they occur, why the relationships that you witnessed with your parents, the relationships you had with them, the childhood trauma that you experienced affects your relationships. And I'm going to give you some tools to start working on that. And we're also going to talk about a couple things I have for you to to deal with this, right? Some courses. So if you're ready to dive into all of the relationship issues, or at least hear more about how this occurs, why it occurs, right? And, you know, maybe do some work on it. Let's dive in. Now, full disclaimer, everything that I'm going to talk about in this podcast right now, in this episode... I am gearing more toward romantic relationships. However, this is something I go over with my clients all the time. This applies to all of your relationships. And I'm actually going to do an entirely separate podcast discussing relationship issues in friendships and how those play out. But just know, like, the shit that we're talking about here, it applies there, okay? It applies with all of your relationships, Relationships are funny things. Even the relationship we have with ourselves that can be very interesting when we look at it. So, when we are thinking about the issues that we see in our relationships, the patterns, and it's not just the patterns of, you know, relationship issues, problems, arguments that come up, but even the personality traits that we see within our partners. We have a lot to look at, not just from our past, like in our adult years of, you know, romantic relationships, but with the people that we were raised by. What do I mean by that? Well, about 80% of what we believe and think comes from childhood. That is, of course, something that can be changed, but you have to have awareness to change it. So up until that point, about 80% of what you understand about yourself, what you think, what you believe comes from your formative years, which is childhood and into early adulthood, right? So if we think about that, we have to understand that the experiences that you had with your parents or caregivers directly influences what you think and believe about yourself their perceptions of you, right? Your perceptions of their perception of you. I know I'm going a little bit more like inception with that, but it's true. You know, the perceptions that you have of their perception, those create beliefs within you. The the issues that came up, right? They play out in other ways in your life. And then the what you witnessed, right? With the type of relationship they had with each other or any partners that they may have dated, right? That all is stuff that you are creating beliefs around. You are creating thoughts and feelings around. So you take that, but then you also take the personality traits of them because this is something that, that, you know, we we look at like instances and behaviors, but you also want to look at the personality traits. What things show up? There's a lot of information in that. We take all of that information in, we form our own beliefs, our opinions, our stories around it, and then that plays out in what we seek. It's not always conscious. In fact, a lot of the time it is not. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again because 
there are too many fucking coaches, wellness professionals, spiritual leaders out there. And I'm saying spiritual leaders very sarcastically because nobody should consider themselves a spiritual leader when they say shit like this. But there's too many people out there that say we choose what we pick. We choose the trauma. We choose the hurt. We choose the pain that we encounter in our life. No, the fuck we don't. Does our subconscious mind seek out what is familiar to it? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does because that has become safe to our subconscious mind. But it doesn't mean that we choose it. It doesn't mean that we want it. It doesn't mean that we need the lessons from it, right? I'm so sick of seeing people talk about how, oh, there's all these lessons that we gain from from suffering and from the traumas that we've experienced. You know what? Here's the truth. I, I would much rather not have those lessons, thank you very much, or receive them in other healthier ways. In fact, if we had had healthier ways, we wouldn't need the lessons in the first place, right? If we had had safer living conditions growing up, and again, that is all relative to your own experience. If we had safer moments in our life, we wouldn't need those lessons. So I would take that. I would take that for all of my clients on all of the people in the world. We don't deserve and or need trauma, right? So that is something that I just want to get out there again. I'm going to keep saying it because there's 5 million different freaking coaches and stuff again on this planet that keep saying shit like this and keep making people feel bad about themselves and believing shit about themselves that is just not true. You don't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. But I want to get into the nuance of understanding how we become adapted to certain things, certain personality traits, certain issues, certain situations, because it became normal to us. It's not that it felt good. It became normal. And normal is safe to our brains. Normal keeps us alive. Status quo keeps us alive even if status quo doesn't feel safe, right? Or isn't really logically safe, I should say. Status quo may not be logically great for us. And it's certainly not something we should strive for when all it does is keeps creating harm and conflict and heartbreak in our lives. But here we are, right? (laughs) We do with what we have until we know better and then we can do better with that, right? So we take all this information in from a young age, our brains adapt to it, and we learn to react to that. We learn how to live with that and to survive with that. I'm not going to say thrive with that because most of us, when we've experienced certain childhood trauma, you know, and growing up with like narcissistic, emotionally immature parents, we definitely were not thriving, right? But we learned how to survive with those things. If you had a parent, and I dealt with this too, uh, where you could never gauge their moods and their mood changes, you know how to be hyper-observant and hyper-aware of other people's moods and reactions to things because that was a requirement to make sure that you stayed safe, right? You learned to do that as a child because that meant that you were able to deal with what was going on in your household, right? And hopefully avoid punishment or harm. You learn to do it. I I learned to do this. It is the reality of our lives sometimes and it sucks. It sucks big time because quite frankly, we don't we don't need it, but here we are, right? This is what we're dealing with. So We learn to adapt. We learn to deal with these things. And as much as it sucks, it is our reality for a while. And our brains get comfortable with that reality. I'm not saying they feel good. I'm not saying that you feel like you're thriving. I'm saying that you learned to feel comfortable in that reality. Comfortable in those situations 
because you knew how to react to them. You knew how to adapt to them. You knew how to deal with the consequences, the trauma, the pain, right? All of it. You learned how to deal with that. And so what happens is our brains then adapt to say, well, we need to keep doing that because even if it doesn't feel good, it's normal and that keeps us alive. If we change things, we don't know what could happen and that could mean death, right? And I know that that sounds ridiculous because like, I've asked myself the same question of like, how the fuck can having a healthy relationship where I don't need to constantly walk on eggshells to avoid harm be bad or be dangerous or life-threatening? But again, this is not about that. This is about I'm going, you know, your brain is going off of what it knows and it's working with that. And that, and that's just how we operate until we learn better and then we break the cycle. But the cycle itself is hard to break through because, again, there becomes this whole, you know, resistance to changing it. Our brain resists it. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel good. So our brain is like, uh, I don't know about this. And we have to find ways to make creating a new story, a new belief system, new thoughts, right? We have to work to make that feel better. But until we do that, we're going to keep choosing and we're going to keep leaning toward things that don't feel good to us. It's human nature. So this is why we end up with repeating patterns. And I'm going to illustrate that through a little bit of my own story. Um, Trigger warning, I am going to talk about some violence, substance abuse, stuff like that. So if you're not in a place to listen to that right now, maybe tune out, come back to this when you are, do whatever you need to do to resource. But if you are there, then, then stay tuned. So when I was growing up, Um, If you've been listening for any length of time, you know my parents split when I was young, about two and a half, I believe. And then my mom remarried right away. Um, I think my dad left, and then a week later, my stepdad moved in. So you you get the idea of what went on there, right? So that happened. And my dad is a very pacifist kind of guy. Like he, he believes in pacifism. That's just how he is. He's gone to millions of protests in the world in his lifetime. And his, his approach to things is to be peaceful, right? That is just how he rolls. He's a chill guy. He's a mellow guy. He has his faults, but for the most part, that is how he is. My mom up front, very charismatic, but as we've discussed, very narcissistic as I see most narcissists are, super charismatic up front. And then as you get to know them more, you realize that is not how they actually are. That was a mask they used to kind of wrap you into their world. Um, My stepdad, when I met him, because again, I was very young, I don't have a whole lot of memory of that. But all I ever remembered of him is being this very volatile scary guy they would go out every night and drink um that was something that apparently my mom did when my dad and her were still together and then of course she met my stepdad and you know that's how they got together but they kept going out every night and drinking and then they would come home my babysitter would leave and inevitably wouldn't take very long before I would get woken up to screaming matches, being, things being thrown at one another. I would wake up to them throwing each other around, right? Just a lot of violence and I would end up being in the middle of it. It was frightening for me. I, I was frightened of my stepdad most of the time. And even when he was sober, he was just a very harsh guy um, at that growing up, like he was just very harsh. I was always on edge because I just never knew how he could be. And looking back, like having the information that I knew now, he was a very misogynistic kind of bullying guy. That's just how he was. So 
So when I was really looking at a lot of my relationship issues, I at first had seen where a lot of the partners that I was choosing on the surface, they mirrored this, these very like mellow, chill guys like my dad, right? Felt very calming at first. A little bit of that charismatic personality, but for the most part seemed to resemble my dad at front. And then what I would notice is a personality shift. A lot of the same behaviors of my mom, a lot of the gaslighting, the manipulation, the mood swings, right? The change in temperament, um, all of that stuff would play out. But there was an element of that that I missed for a very long time because I wasn't looking at all of the data, right? I was just looking at part of the data of myself. This is where we're going to get a little bit sciencey here, right? A little nerdy with it. Because when I work with clients, I kind of do what I do with myself. I, I My method of approach is to conduct some research, right? Not from a creepy way, but I am doing it to help understand the bigger picture here. I like to understand all the moving parts of a situation to then figure out the bigger picture. It came from this, right? Because again, at first I thought, okay, so I see this little pattern here where personality trait wise, they seem to start off like my dad and then they shift to being my mom. But that never quite added up. And I would always have this reoccurring dream where I would be back at my mom and stepdad's house, the last house that they had when I had any type of relationship with them. And I would always be afraid trying to find a way out. I would be contacting my dad to come get me. And somehow he either couldn't get to me or I, was, or I would miss him. And my stepdad would always be there. And I kept ignoring it because the dreams were so terrifying for me because I knew I was with my mom, even though my mom was rarely in the dream, that I wouldn't even explore. Fun fact, your dreams are your subconscious way of working things out, right? Everything that you see in a dream represents some, some aspect of yourself or something from your life, or, or if you watched a movie, if Sharknado before bed, right? <laughs> like you, and you have dreams about sharks. That's probably why. Um, so those are the, some of the reasons why. But anyway, I would have this dream all the time. And there was one day where I finally, I had, I had done enough work that I just had the courage to look at things and be like, why do I keep having this dream? What is here? And what I realized were, was that subconscious parts of me, right? Those inner child parts of me that I've talked about a million different times. It wasn't just my mom that I had modeled these men after, my mom and dad, right? The, the beginning personality trait was there. It was my stepdad. I noticed certain behavior traits, um, one thing that was really common with a lot of my partners are some alcohol use issues and their behavior becoming a little erratic. It may not have been always as violent as his, but it, their behavior becoming a bit erratic. I noticed that what was happening every time and something that I learned about myself from this was that I really cannot be in relationships with partners that tend to drink a lot or much at all, right? Because it triggers memories of them coming home and him being violent and me being in the middle of it and being threatened and yelled at and, and it, the emotional abuse that would come with it and everything and the threat of violence that was always there. All of that stuff was in me and it was literally creating a trauma response where I would go into disassociation and freeze and I would go into the same thing I did when I was little where I would make up these imaginary worlds right part of disassociation for kids often is to create imaginary landscapes and worlds for themselves where they are playing out aspects of um a reality that they want to happen, right? They're doing this constantly as a way to make themselves feel safe. That's what I did all of the time. 
I was just looking for a way to make myself feel safe. So what I did was play out these little internal worlds and in order to make myself feel safe, right, I would create my own realities and I would ignore the scary things that were going on in the background because that's what I did when I was younger. Certain aspects of their personality traits were very much like him. You know, the very misogynistic, shitty ways that he would act even without alcohol. That was being played out there. I was literally dating men that reminded me of both of my tormentors, both of the people that made me feel so much fear growing up. And that's why a lot of what Matt, they you know, encompassed was like my mom, but there were elements missing that I couldn't see. And because I couldn't see them, I still kept picking partners that resembled them. Once I figured this out, I never chose people like that again. It just stopped because I understood what I was looking at and what I was looking for. And you're probably going like, well, how can the alcohol usage be it? It's not the alcohol usage. Yes, that's a thing. But it's the personality that comes out with the alcohol usage. It's the way that they act when they are drinking, right? Certain aspects of them that show, that don't show when they're drinking. And fun fact, I know a lot of people try to say like, oh, well, you know, when somebody's drunk, like they're not acting like themselves anymore. Yes, they are. They're acting like a version of you that is, are themselves that is uninhibited. That they keep in close quarters. I hate when people use the excuse of like, oh, well, they were drunk. That's why they said that racist stuff. That's why they, they acted out violently. No, the alcohol gave them the courage, the liquid courage to just be that way. Trust me, that's always how they've been. I've seen way too many people. (laughs) (laughs) that have alcohol issues be like that to know that is who that person is it's just being amplified now there's just more courage to act that way in front of people so anyway back to where we're going with this I kept dating people that resembled them and certain relationship dynamics kept playing out because one thing that I learned very young about relationships was that relationships weren't safe. And I also learned from my dad, who he dated for a little while when I was younger, and then he just stopped dating. Um, I learned that I was better off outside of a relationship. Like, so I would try just like not dating for periods in time. Like all of my friends know, like I go through stretches where I just don't date anybody. Um, We'll get into part of like how I do that in healthier ways now, but I would, I would avoid relationships because I would think that the relationships would ruin things for me, right? I would always have more financial issues. I would always have more instability within myself, within my career, within life when I was in relationships. And I just thought like, well, it's a relationship thing and it's better for me to be single. Well... Partially, yes. I actually prefer being single. I practice solo poly, um, which essentially means I consider myself my primary partner and I date for fun and things like that, but I don't really have a whole interest in like marriage and stuff like that. Doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. That's how I really am. But I'm doing that in a healthy way now. So for a long time though, What was going on is I would go through these stretches, then I would feel lonely, right? And then I would get into this relationship and it was all fun and vibrant at first, right? And very much resembling like, quote unquote, the good times with my mom and stepdad. Although I could argue that there weren't really any because again, he's super misogynistic, toxic, male behavior all the time like that's the one thing I can say for my mom I'm like girl 
you needed to work on that because you deserve better, even though (laughs) you are also a very toxic and problematic human. Um, But what would happen then, of course, I'd get into these relationships, I would see certain behaviors, and I would ignore them. I would go into my little fantasy reality of like what I could make this relationship be because, you know, I was lonely. And what it was really going on is I I was not in a place to love myself. I was not in a place where I liked myself. So I was constantly looking for something or someone to fulfill that, which is something, unfortunately, a lot of us do. And it sucks because we tend to get ourselves into situations or in relationships with people. And again, it's not just romantic partnerships. It is all kind of partnerships, right, or friendships with people that really aren't good for us, that really don't align with us. And it hurts and it causes a lot of pain, a lot of issues, but we do it because we're lonely. And there's a very big difference than to being alone and being lonely. Being alone just means like you don't have anybody around you. Being lonely means you feel empty, you feel unfulfilled. And that is something I can very confidently say I do not deal with anymore because I actually like myself. I like my own company. I like to do things by myself. I like doing things with other people too, but I don't need somebody to validate me and fill me up. I can do that myself. Having other people in my life is just one of those amazing blessings that I get to have But I'm also at that point of myself where I'm not going to let somebody into my world that doesn't make me feel good, that actually makes me feel bad about myself, that makes me feel unsafe. That ain't going to happen. Because again, I have worked on myself enough to know I would rather be happily alone than to be around that bullshit. But at that time, I was lonely. So I kept trying to find somebody to fill me up. And again, I would meet people that up front seemed great. And I would think like, oh, I've done all of this great work on myself. And now I've met this person and they seem great. And, you know, they've got like certain qualities that I like in somebody that's like very chill and mellow, but, but, you know, cool and, and fun to be around and, very charismatic too. And it's just going to be great. And then, you know, of course, I would start to see that that was not quite what was going on. And then I would start going into my little disassociative states of ignoring the behaviors, ignoring the red flags and things and creating my own version of this relationship in my head, that if I just wanted it bad enough and could will it, it would happen. And then... I would be happy, then it would be great, but it never worked that way. I was still playing out the same exact shit that I saw growing up and holding and and creating over and over again confirmation of my internal belief that relationships are dangerous. And maybe they weren't always like knock down, drag out, fight dangerous, but they were dangerous in that there was a lot of emotional neglect, manipulation, emotional abuse, um, financial issues, right? All kind of different things. Lots of coercive sex and stuff like that. Like so many different issues were popping up because I was still playing out the same patterns because I wasn't looking at all of the data. I wasn't looking at all of the patterns to put everything together To understand, oh, that's why this is playing out. I see now. I only looked at what I could, I wanted to look at. And that, even that took a long freaking time to get there because it was scary. And that's the thing with healing that that's the thing that a lot of people don't really like to admit is that, you know, a lot of us, we start to work on ourselves and it's uncomfortable 
But what we don't admit is it's downright terrifying when we start to see truth of things and how terrifying it is and how much we can start doing the work, see how terrifying it is, and then we back away from it because we don't want to look behind that curtain anymore. What's behind that curtain is not fun. There's some truths behind that curtain that are really hard to swallow. And I believe a lot of why it makes it even harder is because, again, our society is built on such a shitty, capitalistic, patriarchal, white supremacist ideology that we constantly keep hearing these messages of it's our fault, right? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's your fault you're suffering. It's your fault you're failing. It's your fault this. And again, I'm not saying that you don't get to take accountability for when actions you've done that are harmful. We have to take accountability. But it does not mean that you deserve to suffer. However, our society, man, it loves to to shame others. It loves to hate on other people. And and it's something that it has been built into the very systems that we we operate within, right? So I think that's why so much of this makes it harder because what inevitably happens is we see all of these things and we carry so much shame around them and even stuff from like our childhood that we can say we really didn't even choose that at all, right? You know, maybe you did choose those shitty partners and maybe you did ignore those red flags. But it's because there's an inner child version of you running the show and that inner child is still remembering things from your past that are absolutely terrifying to face and painful. It is not by choice. It is not because you want it. But these harmful messages get out there that tell us over and over again that we chose this, that we wanted this. No, we didn't. We never did. And yes, you can look at the adult choices you've made and take some responsibility of saying like, okay, I see why I chose that. But you can still offer yourself compassion. That's the thing that I want for my clients always is to learn to reframe beliefs about themselves, you know, where there's so much shame and guilt held within them and help them see that, yes, we now get to to roll up our sleeves and do the work to, to make better choices for ourselves and the people that we love in our lives, right? And we can hold a lot of compassion for ourselves because these things that we are holding on to, they come from a time where we were really not able to be a responsible human being and an adult human being and choose differently. And we've been holding on to beliefs because, again, it became normal to our minds. That's what our minds sought out. So we keep doing it over and over and over again until we're ready to face it. And even when we're ready to face it, it can be really fucking hard. It's really hard. So when we do finally get there, though, how do we deal with this? Well, again... It's going to be a process because there's going to be, of course, those moments where you realize these little truth bombs, right? These little truth bombs show up and you have to face them. But this is where I think the compassion needs to come in right away. The safety and the compassion has to come in right away. So we have to, to collect everything like data. I love research. I absolutely love research papers. In fact, my daughter, who is in college for medical anthropology and women's gender and sexuality, I ask them often for research studies that they they get, you know, when they tell me about certain research that they've gotten, just because I want to read new things. I want to listen to new information because I love it. I, I absolutely geek out over things like this. So... We have to essentially treat ourselves like our own research study. And we can do that in pleasurable ways. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be these moments where it kicks your ass. 
But the more compassion you can hold, the more pleasure you can hold, the more ways that you can move through things and and do that and bring pleasure into the healing process, it starts to get your brain a little bit more on board with it. But how do we conduct the research? Well, we have to start collecting the data first on what stories we have held about relationships. And again, as I said, you can use this for any relationships. What data is there to collect, right? You want to look at again, what did you learn about relationships from the interactions that you had with your parents or caregivers? What stood out to you there? Right? How did they make you feel? What was your perception of what they made you feel? Then you want to take in what what did you observe of their relationships with each other or with any partners they had, right? Then you want to take in what are the personality traits that you had. Ask yourself the questions about these things, like what were the personality traits that I noticed? What was their relationship like to their partner or partners? What was their relationship like to me? What memories come up around that? Because those memories give you some answers, right? Those memories hold a lot of clues and they give you a lot of answers about that. Any memories that come up when I'm even saying these questions to you right now, I want you to pause the podcast and just jot those down in some way or take note of it in some way because you're going to get some information from this. So you have to look at that. You want to do the same with your own relationships. What patterns do I see showing up? What personality traits do I see in my partners that mirrors one another, right? What relationship issues keep popping up with everybody I'm in a relationship with or have been in one with or what patterns keep popping up in this particular relationship, right? The arguments and things like that. That's also going to show you what's really going on because a lot of times taking out the trash is never just about taking out the trash, right? It's rarely ever just about the taking out the trash. Of course you want the trash to be taken out, but your partner not taking out the trash, there's there's a deeper reason why it upsets you. So when we can take all that data, we can then look at it. And then what we have to do is start observing how we feel when we look at all of that data, look at all the memories that are associated with these moments, right? And these people. What do you feel? And I'm not even just talking about your emotions because the emotions can be hard to process. I want you to look at what do you physically feel? Does your back start to ache? Do you start noticing your chest getting tight or your throat swelling up and tightening and drying out, right? What happens when you start looking at these things? Take that in. And once you have all of that, ask yourself, put your hands on that part of your body if you're able to, or just close your eyes and feel that part of your body, right? Bring your awareness to that part of your body and ask, the fuck is going on here? Why do I feel pain when I think of this? I mean, some of the reasons might be very obvious to you, right? Like when I immediately thought of all of the times like a partner would start drinking and I would notice myself like getting really antsy. I'm like, oh, because I remember now that it reminded me of that moment with my stepdad and when I would witness them getting drunk and getting violent and I feared violence, right? I knew that, but then I went deeper with that. What is this teaching me about a belief that I had about my relationship? You have to look at all of that. And this is hard. This is literally why people hire me because it's fucking painful to look at this information on your own. And sometimes it feels a lot better. Oftentimes it feels a lot better to have professional help there. You can do it, but you also need to learn how to calm yourself, how to deal with any anxiety or fears or or stress that comes up when you do this or overwhelm. I mean, even the self-paced programs that I have or group programs I have, like, even if you're not working with me one-on-one to deal with that, you're still getting the tools to help manage what comes up when it comes up from this. Because trust me, 
inevitably something is going to hit you. It, it will. It just will. These are painful things and these are tough things. And again, there's a lot of our society that is built on making us feel shame and bad. Like we, we love a good victim blaming story in this society. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying like you need to, to sit there and, and, and spend the rest of your life going like, woe is me. I don't want that for you. I I want you to move through this and have better for yourself. But you also have to acknowledge like the real pain that's there. You just have to, like you can't get away with not doing that. So once we have all of that information, we then need to look at how does this information, the belief that I have about relationship and the patterns that come up, right? Because all of this information and including the responses that you have physically to this information, it's going to then give you a belief. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, so I notice all of this comes up. I notice this pain. I notice this is where this pain comes from. So what do I believe about relationships? What is my story about it? Look at that story and then compare it and contrast it to what you've wanted for yourself. What do you want, right? You know you want a healthy relationship. Well, what does that mean to you? Get more specific here. And how does that compare to what you've been choosing over and over again? And again, I'm saying choosing loosely because it's a subconscious choosing that is not based on what you really want. It's based on what has been normal to you. But once you look at that, then... Ask yourself, do you really feel safe having what you want, what you desire from a relationship? And notice how your body reacts to that. Notice what emotions come through you. Because I guarantee you the emotions that come through you from this and the way that your body reacts is going to tell you where the disconnect is in you actually having it. Like you know your past story, you know what you want, and now asking yourself the question like do I really believe that it's safe for me to have this do I believe that I deserve this if you notice like you want to say yes and and it's hard to bring yourself to that or like your body immediately tensing or like getting anxious right your stomach getting upset whatever happens there's some part of you that is disconnected from that and that's where like all of the parts work comes in to understand Why the fuck that's happening? But when you notice any of that residual pain, let it move through your body, which means maybe you need to take some time to cry and to grieve for the parts of yourself that went through that. I had to do that. There's an exercise that I have in my program called Pleasure um, Healing, and it's also an exercise that is in um, my Central Power course where you're also learning sensual movement as a way to heal and embody more of what you want for yourself, right? When you notice that, you have to move it through your body. I did it for myself. I had to have these moments where I cried, I screamed. I had to do an exercise where I put my stepdad in a glass room. So there was this barrier between myself and him and my wounded parts, right? These little inner child parts that were carrying so much pain. And I just let them scream and and get out any anger that they had. And, you know, they were punching pillows and like punching the wall. And even though like they weren't able to hurt themselves doing that, like I made it safe for them to get those emotions out. Maybe you need to physically do it, right? Sometimes like it's not even like I can't, I can't even just visualize it. I have to physically do it. So we have to move that through our body. We have to sometimes use movement to shake things out, to get it, to release the stuck energy in our body that is holding all of this pain and trauma. One of the ways I love doing that is putting on some sad or angry music that reminds me of what I've been struggling with and literally just dancing it out of myself and I'll find myself in that dance screaming or crying or just breaking down because there's all of this stuff that I never got to express that I never got to deal with that's created beliefs and wounds that have not helped 
it's a tough process. It's heavy. It's deep. But on the other side of it, once you start moving it through and you start working with these parts of you, use the movement to make it feel good to have what you want. Go back and look at that desire for yourself. Find some way to move your body. Maybe it is through um, dance or stretching or taking walks or physically massaging yourself. And while you're doing it, think about, visualize the relationship that you want, the dynamic that you want. If there's a current partner you're with that you want, you want to have a certain dynamic with them that you don't have, or you want to clear up an issue in a way with them, see it happening. And now I'm not talking about this in like that, that fucked up, um, the secret way where it's like, oh, just see it and it'll come to you. No, we have to take divine action on everything that we do. But when you can visualize it, what happens is your attention turns to what you want. Manifestation is literally just neuroscience, right? You have to see it and feel it for yourself as possible. And then what happens is your brain starts to go, oh, that, yeah, that actually feels safer. That This is starting to become familiar to me. And remember, your brain likes what's familiar. Your brain likes what's normal to it. So if you keep doing it, it starts to become more and more familiar. But if you do it in a way that feels good through some type of movement or something, your body starts to take that in. All senses become alive with it. And then what it does is it starts to seek out the solutions to make that happen. So maybe suddenly there's an approach that you develop to talk to a partner about the issue of them never fucking emptying the or taking out the trash, right? There's a way for you to express why it means so much to you, to them, that you've never been able to express it to them before. And you can finally express it to them. And then a lot of the anger and the resentment is gone. And a lot of their irritation and frustration with you is gone because now they understand better what is happening. I'm using this as an example because I've literally had a partner go through this with their husband. And it was a a symptom of a bigger issue within their relationship of her struggling to feel heard and feel seen and to be supported because she felt overwhelmed in every area of her life. She just felt overwhelmed and she needed help. And the constant asking of this was, yes, of course, about getting the garbage taken out, but it was also more about she needed some fucking help. She needed an outlet because she was drowning in everything she had to do in her life. And once she was able to explain that in a better way because she could see it, she could feel it in a different way. She could move in her body and feel the pleasure it would feel to have him honor her request and to support her in this. She was able to say it in a way that actually cleared up the issue and he heard her in a way that he'd never heard her before. It sounds so simple and so profound at the same time because it is. And no, I'm not saying that just having your partner finally take out the garbage is going to be the thing, right? Or your partner finally asking you about your day when you ask them about their day is suddenly going to make everything rainbows and sunshine. No, but it goes to deeper issues. It goes to deeper needs and wants that we have. But when we cannot feel that, And more importantly, when we can't make it feel good to us, it's harder to get there. When we can make it feel good to us, then let me tell you, it is is so much easier to get there. It is so much easier to get there. And we come up with the solutions to get there a lot faster. And the best part about that is we learn to create them for ourselves. I tell my clients all the time, I love working with them. And I'm happy to work with them as long as they want. Like most of my one-on-one clients, they're long-term clients because we shift focus every, you know, six months to look at like, and to reevaluate, like, what are your goals? What do you want for yourself? Where do you need support? A lot of my clients also own businesses. So we literally go through all of the support with stuff like that. But what happens is they more and more learn to trust themselves. And that's what I want. I don't want them to need me forever 
to help them figure themselves out. I want them to start figuring that out on their own. Again, that's why I also made courses to teach you how to do that for yourself because I want you to do that for yourself. I want you to get to these answers for yourself. So start looking at at this whole breakdown and figuring out not just how you can use moving these things through your body as a way to release them, but then using movement, using connection to your body, pleasure in your body to build up a, a normalcy for your brain to seek out what feels good. That can be through anything you want. For those of you that are like, oh, but the movement aspect sounds really good. And for those of you that are women at AFAB, my course pleasure healing or not pleasure healing, that is like my overall course. That's a great start. But for those of you that specifically want the movement end of it, my course sensual power is literally based on that. It's the very first course I ever created. And I I revamped it, rebranded it to be something that was even more powerful in helping you use movement for that. So I definitely recommend checking that out. I have a Columbus-based version for people that are in Columbus, Ohio or near it. And then an online version where we're going to work together weekly, do the lessons, do some of the work to start helping you to understand your relationship patterns, understand your issues there and breaking them down, using sensual movement to help move through these things in more pleasurable ways, and then using sensual movement to help you start connecting with what you really want for yourself and making it feel good and safe to your body so that you actually start seeking it out and you, and you pay attention to all of those amazing little intuitive hits, divine wisdoms, and action steps to get that because you deserve it. So definitely check that out. The show notes have the links for that. But also make sure that you're just using this work for yourself because again, you deserve it. And use it with any relationships you're struggling with, right? It doesn't have to be just relationship issues with like romantic partners. It can be any relationships. I hope that this resonated with you. Please subscribe if it did. Leave me any comments you want. Um, share your own experiences working on your relationship issues, working on healing. Share this with any friends that you feel like could use it or anybody else in your life that could use this. Leave me a review, whatever. Do all of the things. And again, I hope it helps. And I hope it this inspires you to really dive into any patterns that you see continuously coming up that are holding you back in your relationships. Because again, you deserve better and I want you to have better and it may not be your fault. I know it's not your fault for all of the issues that you've had, but I do want you to have the solutions to have better.